Let's grab our Bibles this morning. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And we're going to begin reading with verse number 16. Uh, we are in between series right now. Of course, today's message is going to reflect this week of Thanksgiving that we're entering into. And then next week, we're beginning a Christmas series we're calling Sounds of the Season. We're going to be looking at the Christmas narrative in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be examining uh, the characters in that narrative and their praise and their extolation toward God as they realize the wonderful gift that they have in the Messiah. So we want you to be part of that series, be active, invite friends and family and neighbors to it. We believe God can work powerfully through the preaching during the Christmas season. Well, if you found your place there in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to begin in verse 16. If you're physically able to stand, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at the path to thanksgiving this morning. The path to thanksgiving. Let's begin in verse 16. I like these verses. These are the type of verses I enjoyed memorizing in Awana class and in Christian school. Uh, I could say I memorized a bunch of verses because these ones were easy. Let's look at the first verse this morning, if you would, with me. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. How many got it down? You're welcome. I just helped you memorize a verse this morning, okay? Let's go to the next one. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. How many have that one? Hey, you're on fire, all right? Memorize the whole word of God before we're out of here today, okay? Notice with me now verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is the command of God. This is the will of God that we would be a people of thanksgiving. So this morning, we're going to learn about the path to thanksgiving. We're going to learn the truth about what thanksgiving really is. So let's pray and let's ask God in his spirit to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful indeed to be here in your house with your people, thankful for your salvation, thankful for your word thankful for your Holy Spirit, thankful through the new life that we now live because you are in us and we have the hope of glory and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, God, for making all of that possible through your grace. Now, help us in faith to live a life of thanksgiving for you. Help us as we learn this from scripture this morning and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The path to thanksgiving is not a path that we are naturally prone to. We're not naturally prone in our flesh to be thankful people. That's why as we're raising children, we don't have to teach them how to complain. How many of you, are, we figure that out all on our own, right? We don't teach our children how to murmur, how to complain, or how to, you know, be upset with life. No, we teach our children how to be thankful. We teach our children if somebody gives them something, we say, all right, now go to them and say what? Thank you. Thank you. Say please. Show appreciation. Have a heart of thanksgiving. This isn't something that comes natural to us in our flesh. This is something that we need the Spirit of God in. And so the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church of Thessalonica, is going to give us some understanding of what it looks like to be on the path to thanksgiving, how we put our life in order in the spirit of God to become a thankful people to God. You know, 
Our problem many times with Thanksgiving is that we're thankful for things instead of being thankful to the one who created all things. And very quickly, our Thanksgiving can turn into idolatry because we're only thankful for as long as we're receiving what we think we should receive. And then when we stop receiving what we think we are due or what we're entitled to, then all of a sudden our spirit of Thanksgiving evaporates and goes away because we're no longer getting our way. And so we've got to be careful and And in order to be a people of thanksgiving, we can see here in Scripture, just for a brief moment this morning, what it means to be on the path to thanksgiving. As we look at this short passage this morning, I want us to first of all see this. If we are going to be on the path to thanksgiving, then we need to be connected to a culture of rejoicing. If we are going to be on a path to thanksgiving in our lives, then we need to be connected to a culture of of rejoicing. Notice Paul's instruction here in verse number 16. He says, rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. You'll realize with me that we don't live in a culture of rejoicing. We live in a culture of murmuring and complaining. It doesn't take long to turn on the news and ruminate over the affairs of this world or come into contact with the things we don't agree with before long, if we're not careful, we'll mirror the culture of the world instead of the new man that God has put in us. We will be immersed in this culture of covetousness and this culture of materialism and this culture of ungratefulness instead of having the heart of God of thanksgiving and praise toward the one who has provided us all things. And so if we are going to be a people who are on a path to thanksgiving, we need to be connected to a culture of rejoicing. And, you know, I've learned in my life that I am more prone to murmur and complaint than to thanksgiving. Something spoke to me, little thing, about two months ago. My wife, many times for dessert, will make our family a, a cake, a vanilla cake with fudge chocolate frosting. And it's a very simple dessert, very, very easy to make, very quick to make, but I like it because man, it just tastes so good. It's just those simple flavors, you know? And I love after dinner, finishing up dinner and going to the cake pan and cutting off a little piece of cake. That's, that's the part I eat in front of my family, you know, the little piece of cake. <laughs> and I put it on my plate and eat it right after dinner. And it's a great finish or follow-up to, to the dinner. Just seals it up real good. How many of you know a good dessert seals up a good dinner? I mean, it just works that way. But then later on in night, When everybody else is asleep in bed, you know, around midnight, on that first night where that cake has been freshly baked, I sneak out of bed. And I go down into the kitchen and I cut myself out the real piece of cake. You know, the real one. And I plan this out because this is the way I like to eat my vanilla cake with the thick chocolate fudge frosting on the top of it. I like to, before I go to bed at night, set the temperature of the refrigerator down about four degrees. This is so the milk can become ice cold. How many of you know a big peach piece of fudge frosting cake is followed up real well with a tall glass of ice cold milk, amen? And so I put all this in order. I set it all up. I, I set my timer in case I accidentally fall asleep so I can wake up. My vibrate on my phone goes off. I get out of bed. I sneak down into the kitchen and I begin to cut myself out that piece of cake. Well, this particular night, 
I did. I cut myself out that piece of cake. And I, I love cutting it. I cut it out in a particular way because, you know, when you have that thick fudge frosting on it and you cut through it, you know, cut right down it, it drags that fudge all the way down the side of that cake. So now you don't just have frosting on the top, you have frosting on the side. And then I like to take and put the spatula right under that and flip the spatula, flip the cake on the side where there is no frosting. And now I've got frosting on the top, I've got frosting on the side. And then I take, I think through this, folks. (laughs) I take my fork and I cut it in such a way that when I pop that first bite in my mouth, it's like all chocolate frosting is entering my mouth with that cake. It is a beautiful thing. But I took the spatula and I put it under that, that rather large slice of cake that I'd cut myself. And I go to put it on my plate and it flips off of my spatula and lands frosting side down on the plate. Aww. Ruined the whole thing! <laughs> and I was upset. I mean, here I am in the kitchen with this big hunk of cake on my plate, and I'm complaining about it. I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. I I planned this all out. I had it perfect, and now it's ruined. So I take my spatula, and I slide it as best as I can under that frosting, and I lift that piece of cake out and flip it over and put it back in the pan and smooth it over into the pan. And cut myself out a new, fresh piece (laughs) of cake. And that goes perfectly. And once again, I'm happy. But isn't it crazy, the little things that we'll complain about? I mean, here I am in the middle of the night in my kitchen with a huge piece of chocolate cake and a tall glass of ice-cold milk, and yet I can still find a reason to be unthankful. And in our lives, we can have so many things in order, so many things that God has done for us, so many things that we're blessed with, and it still seems like we are prone to find the problems and the difficulties and the areas that cause us to be unthankful instead of focusing on the things that God has truly done. And Paul is writing to this church, and he's writing to a church that's had difficulty, real problems, real things that we might have a tendency to complain over. People have lost spouses. People have struggled with sin. People have been persecuted. And Paul says, in order to maintain a path toward thanksgiving, you need to be connected to a culture of rejoicing. Rejoice evermore, it says in verse 16. But verse 16 is part of a greater context of scripture here. You see, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wasn't speaking to an individual and saying rejoice evermore, though we can apply that individually to our life. The context of this passage is it's written to God's people. It's written to the church as a collective. You get the sense of that as you go back a few verses and understand the tone and the context in which he's speaking. Notice with me if we go back here in 1 Thessalonians 5 to verse number 9, we learn how God did not appoint us to wrath or to obtain, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together. Notice that idea, together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So the context of this isn't to the individual, 
The context to this is to the collective. And I believe there's something about being a part of the body of Christ. I believe that there's something about being connected to a culture of rejoicing instead of being immersed in a culture of covetousness and a culture of materialism and a culture of ungratefulness. We are connected to the people of God. And I believe this. If there's anybody on the face of this earth who should have a spirit of rejoicing in them, it ought to be the people of God. We should have the testimony and we should have the regularity of lifting up praise and rejoicing and honor and glory to our God. And one of the things I enjoy about coming to the house of God is connecting with the people of God and hearing how God works in their life and hearing how God has answered prayer and hearing the testimonies of so many who stood up here today, who've been in the same church for 40 years and have nothing but praise and honor and glory to give God as a result of it. That did me good this morning. How many for you that did you good this morning? Because that's the reality of what being on the path of thanksgiving can do in your life. It'll get you past those moments of the flesh where you have a tendency to complain and walk away from God. It'll get you past those times when things aren't going right and you have a tendency to want to covet somebody else's situation. It will get you past some of those things our flesh likes to distract us with in walking away from the goodness and calling of God. Listen, we need to be around God's people. We need to be connected to a culture of rejoicing. Say amen if you believe God is worthy of our praise this morning. That's the culture of rejoicing. Secondly, we find in our passage an alignment of will. If we're going to be on the pathway to thanksgiving, we need to be connected to the culture of rejoicing. We need an alignment of our will. We see this in verse 17. Notice it says, pray without ceasing. So we're to rejoice evermore, connected to a culture of rejoicing, and we're to pray without ceasing. We're to experience an alignment of our will with God's will. By the way, that's the ultimate purpose of prayer. The ultimate purpose of prayer is not treating God like a pinata and using prayer as the stick that we hit him with in order to get what we want. The object of prayer is for us to align our will with God's will. In fact, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. In Jesus' model prayer, which I believe set the priority of our focus of prayer, he says this, our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done. That's what prayer does. Prayer resolves who God is and prayer resolves what God wants to do. And so when Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica here and he says rejoice evermore, he says be connected to that culture of rejoicing. But then he says pray without ceasing and he's saying get your will in alignment with God's will. That's a very difficult thing for us to do. And it's a primary, listen to me, it's a primary reason why we have a tendency to murmur and complain instead of praise God and fill our lives with thanksgiving. Because we don't want what God wants. We want what we want. How many of you like going to the fast food restaurant and saying, hold the pickles, extra mayonnaise, extra meat, right? We want it our way. We want it made to order. We want it according to our will. But what prayer does is it eliminates us from the equation. It says, you are God, hallowed be your name, and it says, your will be done. How many of you believe Paul probably didn't want to be in a prison cell? 
How many of you believe Stephen probably didn't want his own countrymen throwing stones at him? And yet they resigned themselves through prayer and through an understanding of who God was to be in his will and not their own will. If we're going to be on the pathway to thanksgiving, we need to be connected to a culture of rejoicing and we need to align our will with his will through prayer. When you pray, what does your prayer life look like? Indeed, we can ask God for things. I'm not saying we can't. How many of you are glad as we go further down in the Lord's model prayer, we can ask for our daily bread. We can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for the capacity to forgive others. So we ask for things in prayer. But primarily, the things we ought to ask for ought to be things he's already told us is his will for our life. You know, if we will pray for God's will in our life, he is obliged to grant our prayers. Notice what the Bible says about that. Notice with me, if you would, 1 John 5. We'll begin reading with verse 14. The verses are also on the screen. 1 John 5. We'll begin reading with verse number 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What is the writer saying? He's saying if we pray according to God's will, God desires to grant those requests in our life. So what does this mean about our thanksgiving? Well, if we're connected to a culture of rejoicing already that helps to prime us and helps to teach us and helps to remind us how good God is and we're praying, God, make me a thankful person instead of a covetous person. Help me to remember the good things you've brought into my life instead of complaining about the supposed bad things that enter into my life. Help me to focus on you instead of focus on me. He wants to answer those prayers and I believe he will answer those prayers. He would do each and every one of us a lot of good every once in a while just to set some time aside to count the blessings that we do have. How many of you remember that old song? We sing it around here from time to time. Count your many blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. How many of you know it's him that does all that? And so when we think about his blessings in our life and we think about the God of those blessings, it gets our mind off of our will and it puts us in alignment with his will and we begin to pray for things that are effective in our life. You know, we could spend all day praying for Ferraris and praying for, you know, all kinds of lavish things that we want God to grant for us, but we'll find ourselves getting traction spiritually and in thanksgiving if we're prayerful about things that actually are in his will for our lives. So Paul says that we are to pray and we're to pray without ceasing. Be connected to the will of God. Align your will with God's will. How many of you have ever driven a car that's out of alignment a little bit? Isn't that annoying? You know, you're constantly battling your own vehicle to try to stay straight on the road. And I think the most frustrating person in the world is the person who is a believer but is outside the will of God. You're trying to say you're going in the direction of God, but you're constantly, your will is battling against God's will and what he wants to do in your life. We need to be praying without ceasing. Lastly, and we'll be done, as we look to be on the path of thanksgiving, we need to connect with a culture of rejoicing. We need to align our will with God's will. 
but we also need to focus on the source of thanksgiving. We need to actually focus on the source of thanksgiving. As I said on the onset of our message, we are prone to be thankful for the things we have instead of being thankful to the one who has given us those things. The source of everything we should be thankful for, by the way, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of our joy. He is the source of our thanksgiving. And notice what Paul writes here in verse number 18. In everything give thanks. How many of you understand that's difficult? There are some things we're not very thankful for. How many of you just praise God and are enjoying life when you get a flat tire? Oh, man. It's awesome. That unexpected bill hits you in the mail. You're just like, bring it on. <laughs> praise Jesus. No. If you're like me, I do some massive Christian pouting. <laughs> Try to spiritualize it a little bit. But man, they hit you and you're just, you, you can't find a reason to be thankful for any of that business. And I'm not saying that we have to put on some kind of phony facade of feeling happy about everything that happens to us in our life. How many of you know some things just aren't happy? Some things just don't bring a smile to our face. But what we need is we need a different target. We need a different target than the momentary temporal things that happen in our life. And we need the target of eternity where we're looking at an eternal savior who's paid an eternal price for the death of our own sin so that we can have a home in heaven, so that we can be attached to join heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can grab on to the promise that he's coming for us again one day. How many of you glad Jesus is coming? Amen. So when I'm sitting there on the side of the road, and listen, I don't do this. I wish I did do this. I'm going to try to, how many of you are going to try to do what I'm preaching this morning like I'm going to try to do what I'm preaching this morning? How many of you are like me, you know what you ought to do, but you struggle with it? Can I just be honest with you this morning? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, pastor, he's going to get a flat tire and I'm going to see him on his knees praying and thanking God for it. <laughs> eh. But you know what I want to do? I want to not lose my testimony on the side of the road by throwing the tire iron through my back window. And maybe looking past that flat tire a few days down the road and think, you know what, Jesus is coming one day and I won't need tires anymore. We, we got to have something more permanent to focus on. If the only thing that makes you joyful in your life is the temporary, then you're going to be temporarily joyful. But if you are affixed to the source of all of what we're thankful for, then you know that the best is still yet to come. How many of you believe that with Jesus? The best is still yet to come. We don't have even everything that he's promised to us yet. There's so much more he has to unfold before us. And so when things happen that don't make us happy, take a deep breath, enter into prayer, connect with the community of rejoicing, Get in alignment with his will. Focus down the road a little bit further than what's happening right now. And trust God and give praise to him. How many are glad you got up this morning and were able to put your own shoes on? Yeah. Praise God for that. I'm even happier that we get to come back tonight and eat a whole ton of food. All right. <laughs> praise God for that. Listen, we need to focus on the source of thanksgiving. Don't make your thanksgiving a temporal moment-to-moment -moment thing. Immerse it in the eternality of our great God. Don't we have so much to be thankful for today? So much to give him praise for.